Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a high school teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, A Monument to a Bygone Era? I'm joined by return guest Emily Calloway in a discussion about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Episode 4, The Whole World is Watching. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, especially if you have some feedback about what you'd like to hear more of in upcoming episodes. Enjoy the episode. Before we get into the main part of today's episode, my conversation with Emily about episode four, I just wanted to take a quick moment to address the title of this episode, The Whole World is Watching. Emily and I both allude to the meaning and historical context of this quote in the main episode, but we actually didn't take any time to dig into it a little bit, and I thought it would be worthwhile to mention it for any listeners who may not know the reference. So the whole world is watching is a phrase that has been used among protesters and demonstrators in a number of different contexts over the course of the past, let's say, 60 years or so of American history. It was a phrase used by civil rights activists and anti-Vietnam War demonstrators, as well as in more recent contexts, such as the Occupy Wall Street movement. Perhaps the most well-known use of this was in a uh, chant by protesters at the 1968 Democratic National Convention who were um, repeating this phrase as they were being victimized and and beat and, and treated brutally by law enforcement officers. And at the time, television coverage of political events and the war and things like that were really new. So the idea was that if if abuses of power were happening in a public fashion, they would be televised. They would be shared in such a way that people would see them. And the idea was that if people could see it, they wouldn't let it happen again. And so clearly this ties very much into what we see happen in this episode with with John Walker's abuse of of his power and the way that people respond to it by taking their cell phones out and and capturing it. And I'm sure what we'll see in upcoming episodes is the consequences of those videos and images being shared. On that note, enjoy the main episode. It was a tough one, I'll be honest with you. And Emily and I had a really great conversation as two people who are big fans of Captain America and Steve Rogers and, and big fans of the MCU and grappling with the way this episode and this series, Falcon the Winter Soldier, has has kind of asked the audience to look at our superheroes in a new way. So we're really uh, going back and forth on that and exploring all different angles and digging into the the big questions that, that we're being faced with here. And I think it's a testament to the show and to the episode. And if you'd like to weigh in with some of your thoughts, feel free to contact me at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And thanks for listening. Today, I am joined by a super funny, super intelligent, but not super soldier return guest. Welcome back to the podcast, Emily Calloway. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. Now, you previously shared the story of your relationship with the MCU in our episode on Avengers Age of Ultron, which was episode 2.3 of the podcast, which also featured our friends Brooke and Rachel. 
And then uh, all of you returned to do a segment for episode 2.7 of the show for Avengers Endgame. But today it is just you and me, Emily. So why don't you give us just a quick recap of your relationship with the MCU? Sure. I forget what I've said so far, but I imagine I've told you that like I've been part of it for a long time. Um, I don't have much updates of like my relationship besides that I've watched WandaVision recently and I've watched I've been watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and now we have Loki coming out soon as well yeah um so we have a lot going on that I'm very excited about and I've been keeping up with everything the relationship's pretty steady (laughs) good I'm glad to glad to hear you're still going steady there hasn't been any rift in the relationship and, you know, you and I didn't really get a chance to talk WandaVision very much. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear more of your thoughts on that. What is that face? I, I loved it. I loved it. So I got my mom into it. So my mom is obsessed with I Love Lucy. Cool. Like, it's her favorite show. And so I was like, mom, they're making this I Love Lucy Marvel show, kind of. Like, they're doing different decades of this show. And so I got her to watch the first two episodes. And like what I did is I watched the first episode myself and then I watched it with her. So I didn't have to pause. I can enjoy it myself before watching it. Sure. Because <laughs> she was going to ask a lot of questions and she asked a lot of questions. Um, so I could like pause. Okay, this is what this is. <laughs> um, and I got her hooked on it. And then I went away to college um, and she got Katie Lou hooked on it, which is my youngest sister. Cool. And then Katie Lou got... Haley hooked on it, which is my middle sister. And then Haley got my dad hooked on it. And so now my whole family is rewatching all the Marvel series now. They're catching up on all the movies. Um, and right now, Haley, she's like up to like Guardians of the Galaxy watching all the Marvel movies in order. So WandaVision has really pulled us all together as a family. Um, they all love it. Like, I love it because it's Elizabeth Olsen. Like, we talked about her last time being an yeah. Olsen and then, like, that was trending on Twitter. I'm like, where was this, like, months ago? Like, guys, you missed our episode. Um, That's right. But, like, <laughs> yeah. It's, I loved WandaVision. It was great. And then it had an awesome, like, recap episode at the end showing, like, the documentary, how it was filmed. Oh, and, I like, loved that. Oh, I know. And then, oh, Agatha Harkness was awesome. Catherine Hahn is hilarious. I mean, there's just so much that I loved about it. The costume was great. Like mm-hmm. I'm taking a costume design class right now, like looking at it and like I'm learning the decades as I'm watching the show cool. and like it's just matching up with like my coursework. Really awesome. I was obsessed with it. That's so great to hear that. And I love your story about how different members of your family from your mom to your youngest sister were able to kind of use WandaVision as an entry point to get into the rest of the Marvel universe. And I have similar stories from relatives and friends. And, you know, I I work with students who are as young as your youngest sister, and many of them would come into school and they would be talking about WandaVision. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but the way that that show was able to provide that entry point for so many different people of different generations and different interest levels And that it hasn't even just ended with WandaVision, but like what you're saying, they're getting into the rest of the content now as well. It's been really, really special. And I'm I'm glad to hear that you really uh, loved the show. And I I love that I'm getting a little bit of a bonus from you in terms of your take on it, since we didn't get to talk about it for the podcast before. 
I think a lot of people see Marvel as just like an action kind of action packed movies. And WandaVision was the start of the series showing beyond that. And like, it's a sitcom. It's showing like these kind of like funny bits and everything. And it's showing these different genres of television and these different generations. And that was what really pulled my mom into it with the I Love Lucy type episodes. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what pulled in these different generations of people who love to watch it. Because they're like, oh, this w- these were the TVs that I watched. These were episodes that I watched. This is what I wanted. Um, and so that's kind of what brought them in. And that's what they liked about it. And then they're like, oh, I can kind of find this in all the different like movies. It's like more than just that. Yeah. And so I feel like that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's been really, really special. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier has been something totally different. But when that show came out, I knew I had to reach out to you because I knew, I know, that you are a bit of a Bucky Barnes enthusiast, a Sebastian Stan stan, we might say. Mm -hmm. So I definitely want to hear some more of your thoughts on this show so far, starting with the positive. Like, what have you liked about the show? I obviously have liked Bucky, so <laughs> this has been great so far. We're getting more than like eight lines. I think the Winter Soldier movie, pretty sure he has like eight lines mm-hmm. or like eight minutes or something. This has been so much more than that. Like they're giving <laughs> us so much more content. It's crazy because I mean he, his characters in the title, but it's insane. It's so much more than like I, he's typically a side character mm-hmm. and he still kind of is because it is like Sam Wilson's character show. Like the show is about Anthony Mackie and like his relationship with the shield and then kind of Bucky's relationship also with the shield. But I feel like it's really centered around Sam and it should be like I feel like because it was passed on to Sam. But like I really like how we're getting a lot of Bucky content um, and I really loved episode one. because <laughs> I felt like that was a lot of character building. And then the other episodes have been action and not as mm. much character building. Like it's been thrown in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But episode one was a lot of character building, which I loved. Yeah. And getting to see Sam and Bucky on their own, which I think was really and important. A date. <laughs> That's right. Do you think that uh, the, the girl he went on the date with and or his old man friend Nakajima, do you think that we'll see them again? I hope so. I think it'll be like a quick minute type of thing or mm-hmm. like in a background type of thing where we'll see him walking into like the restaurant or something yeah i hope that they kind of tie a bow on it somehow that there's some closure there but we are almost there's only two episodes left so mm-hmm. so there's a lot that they need to um tie up before before the end is there anything that you would say has surprised you about this show or it, whether that's good or bad yeah um I would say Zemo's role in it surprised me. Mm. Um, I'd say a lot of the characters' roles surprised me. And kind of the having multiple villains and multiple arts kind of surprised me. The new Captain America role, that didn't surprise me as much because I came in knowing that would be the mm. villain arc type of position that would be happening. And Carly Morgenthau, I sort of knew what was happening with her. I didn't entirely know the stance. So that one sort of surprised me. Zemo and uh, Emily's character. Not me, not me, like <laughs> Emily. I was like, Emily, um, Emily is right here. I didn't know you wrote yourself into Peggy the show. Carter's um, niece. <laughs> Sharon Carter. Uh, yes, Sharon Carter. Her <laughs> character surprised me. She's definitely Agent 13 still. Mm. Like she's like that 
end call at the end of episode three was definitely turn on recovery agent. That's what I, that's that's my theories. At I least. hear you. I hear you. The Zemo interactions with Bucky and Sam have surprised me. I think because yeah. I was not expecting him to be so kind of friendly, and I kind of expected him to be a villain right off the bat. And I didn't expect Bucky to be so like, oh, we need to go right away. My first action is of this hunt is going to be let's go see my nemesis let's go see <laughs> the guy who tried to use me as a weapon right like no you just got out of therapy like that's <laughs> not what you're in there for okay yeah i'm getting almost like low-key vibes from zemo in the way that he's interacting with them he's he's funny and he He's a villain who definitely manipulative, definitely chaotic, and definitely, um, well, definitely, and I think we talked about this last time too, definitely an agent of chaos, though himself is very calculated. Yeah, I am eating up all of the scenes with Zemo last episode and this episode and finding him to be very entertaining and compelling. And I wasn't expecting that either. I think, you know, to your point, talking about the kind of villain strain of the show so far i'm surprised that it really is there's so much gray area and, I, and i've talked about that a couple times uh in previous episodes of the podcast with with uh, some other guests but there's so much gray area to the show to to zemo and john walker and the flag smashers and that there's not really this clear-cut villain in the way that you'd expect because even WandaVision, right? Like, well, you have your clear cut. It was Agatha all along. And then you can analyze it and say, well, to what extent was should should Wanda be held accountable for her actions? And to what extent is trauma the real villain of the show? Sure. But in this show, it's not even that it's it's there's just so much uh, to really dig into. So we are here today to dig into episode four, which is called The Whole World is Watching. And I figured we'd start before we dig into some specifics, just your kind of broad thoughts or initial reactions to this episode specifically. I didn't love episode three as much in episode two. Um, episode four, I really liked just because like I base it off of how many scenes really stood out. And like I was mm. like, oh, I'm going to go back and rewatch for just this scene. So episode four, I really liked. So episodes um, one and four are kind of your your favorites. They have good Bucky content. That's kind of what I'm basing it off of. And they have good Sarah content. Yes. Bucky and Sarah are my two top um, out of people that I really like so far. Carly Morgenthau, she's up there in terms of complex female leads. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of like how Sam says, like, I like your movement, not exactly the way you're going about it. Yeah, 100%. She's incredibly uh, compelling as a... I'm going to say as a villain, but just as you, as you said, as a character, uh, as a female character, she she is very, very compelling because there is so much wrong that she is doing, but there is also so much truth in what she's saying. And that, to me, is the mark of a very compelling antagonist when there's truth to what they're saying. So my thoughts on this episode, as soon as I saw the title, I had a guess of where I thought it was going thematically speaking. And, and I'll reflect on that a little bit more later. But I agree with you that I thought this was a really, really solid episode, perhaps my favorite of the season so far. 
And I'll, I'll say this, I definitely did have more fun watching last week's episode because of the music cues and the, and I, I talked about this last week, the fashion and the, the cinematography and the action and all of those things. Um, but this is really where my appreciation for the MCU, my appreciation for this type of storytelling comes in in this episode because it is heavier, it's more emotional and raw, and there's a lot to really unpack. And I appreciated that some of the storylines that have been up to this point disconnected started to converge a little bit. So you mentioned Sarah, Sam's sister, and I appreciated that she kind of came back in in this episode not just in a phone call to him, but being a little bit more connected with the main plot of the show. I think that you mentioned great Bucky content, and I agree. That flashback to Wakanda, maybe we'll talk about it more later, but I thought that was really strong for his character. But I also think this was the strongest episode for Sam's character so far, because I fully understood in this episode for the first time why Steve chose him to carry the shield. And I saw Steve's influence on him and more importantly, what it is that makes him a unique and worthy hero in his own right. And I, and I want to say a little bit more about that later as well. And there's one more thing I want to say <laughs> about my broad thoughts. If episode one leaned a little too heavily on the interiority of the main characters for some people, and I... I hearing that it worked for you and it worked for me personally as well but I know for some people it felt not quite there and then episode three for other people went a bit too far in the other direction of the non-stop violence I think that episode four serves as a nice balance of both because it has that thoughtfulness and character work and it has the action and specifically some of the imagery within the action scenes was really powerful and re reflected more of the thematic aspects of the episode and and I really love that. I love when the action can serve the story and the themes. Um, I'm trying to find a quote from a piece I read recently for one of my classes that I feel like really will work with Holly Morgenthau and her character. And it's that social work as war and it as in a form of war. Um, I just feel like it really fits with her like characterization. Because what she's doing, it's like a form of social work. She's trying to help these people rebuild. She's trying to help them find a home. She's trying to help them with education, trying to help them with medication. Um, but what she's doing, people are also saying as an act of war. She's being seen as a criminal. She's being seen as a defiance because she's questioning the very existence of some of the very laws, I guess, that have been put in place in this world. But I, it's by... It's by cook in 2020 but i can't like find the exact <laughs> quote i just remember it sticking with me and being like oh that's like carly morgan's like what she's doing is social work as war like it's really interesting like she's using it as like a weapon kind of um that's fascinating really interesting it's effective but it's kind of like well maybe it shouldn't always be used in that way right um but also going back to what you're saying about the balance of violence and just the character building in general. What I kind of liked about episode one is that I saw it as an intro. Let's get this out of the way to like have everyone happy. And then we could do all the action for all people <laughs> over here to see it. That's what I kind of expected episode one to be. Yeah. It makes the action feel a little bit more earned than when you're like, okay, like we need to catch up with these characters. It's been a number of years since we've seen them. It's been a number of years in universe. So we need to really get a sense of where they're at, where their mindsets are at before we get 
satisfaction out of yeah. more of the action. Yeah. And then the action episode one, the action that there was of just the fighting being near. Um, oh, what country was it? In the very first scene when Falcon's flying yeah. around, that was it was near the border of Tunisia. I remember that because they couldn't yeah. go into Tunisia. I was right? like so mad. I was like, why is the U.S. there? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up as well, because that episode starting out with Sam very, shall we say, flippantly, like killing so many dudes. Um, and very violent. And just like that pissed me off so much of just like speaking of war crimes. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. It was it was a lot. It was a lot to, you know, as as Start we, off. it yeah. was. And, and we've both been saying that, uh, you know, that episode did a lot for the interiority of those characters and, and getting to touch base with them. And it did. But it was also interesting then to see, like, OK, if Sam we know that Steve gave this shield to Sam and we know that Sam is grappling with whether or not he wants that he decides not to take that on and we're going to explore why he chooses not to take that on and really get into where he's at and i think as i said before i think this episode really reveals a lot of where sam is at and i loved sam in this episode but it was a couple of times during this episode i was like all right the sam i'm seeing in this episode doesn't necessarily match with the sam who very casually was just like blowing up planes and like throwing guys out of planes i understand that they were they were the bad guys right and we've seen steve rogers beat the crap out of some bad guys before too but i don't know if we saw so much uh suggestion that steve was killing those guys we've seen him save bad guys too though yeah like we've like in the winter soldier we've seen bucky try to kill them and then we've seen steve save them from dying even when they're the bad guys right and in this episode i got the sense that sam would do that as well right that sam's uh, mode of dealing with Carly Morgenthau was going to be to reason with her, that we saw his compassion for her. But I, I did a couple of moments see that disconnect from, from those actions in episode one. And I don't know if that's something that the show will expand more on. And, you know, if Vitrock the Leaper and his dudes, the air pirates, whoever they were, you know, if, if that was something that um, within universe well, is justified, you needed the to be killed. Too. Right. Guys. I thought that was a cool connection. Yes. Oh, totally thought that was a cool connection. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'm thinking back to that episode. Did they establish what they were doing that was so wrong other than essentially being pirates? Like, were they murdering people? I don't know. Yeah. I All I saw was American military in place where I was like, I don't know if we should be there. Like, I feel like that's an act of war, but without like. I feel like intervention, the, right? Yeah, it's the that would be considered an act of war, even though like Congress isn't declaring it. So like we're not really at war. The U.S. isn't at war, but like we're all know we're at war right now. Mm -hmm. um, echoes so echoes of Vietnam. Yeah, there's some echoes of well, Vietnam all over this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's the whole theme, like the whole title, right? Like yeah. that's like that saying. Like I saw that and I was like, oh, I know that. Right. <laughs> it was like hold on so i feel like that was another interesting thing and then that connecting um just i don't know it was like just another tough bit but i also think it's interesting to show sam's involvement with that violence being with the u.s military and then him separating that and being a different person wanting to separate himself from john walker because right. that's the violence that he associates with that with 
that's kind of how like I rationalize it and how I view it. Yeah. So it could just be that he's wants to be more of like an independent worker rather than a worker with the government. But and that yeah. also go into why he gave up the shield. And that he's grappling with it. And I think that that's interesting, right? So if I'm, what if, if what I'm recognizing is some inconsistency, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a flaw in the storytelling or a flaw in the character. It might mean that they're intentionally drawing our attention to that inconsistency because it's character growth or it's, it's a character who is figuring out his place in the world. And we know that his previous identity was as a U.S soldier and then his identity was somebody who's counseling soldiers through their trauma and now he's this person who was an avenger and and so he's kind of grappling with his identity in the world and i think that that's i think that that's interesting and just like real people these characters may not always act a hundred percent uh within with consistency we we all hope that we are consistent in our beliefs and values and actions but we're we're not always so Mm -hmm his tensions are just unrevealed yet. And if it's never not revealed, that's like the beauty of like online fandom spaces that someone's probably writing out there why he's doing this. Someone's probably going to explain it to you online and break it down and be like, well, you want to know why he did this? Let me explain it to you. As if you didn't watch the show and don't have your own conclusion, you're like, sure, Sure. I'll read this essay. Go ahead. That's what head head cannons are for, right? And and that's also (laughs) AO3. Right. Right. And and you know what's really interesting with something like the MCU is uh you you get a lot in that space of a lot of people who really believe, for example, like that the Avengers were the best of friends, right? (laughs) And then you think about it sometimes and you're like, well, how much of that is supported in text and how much of that is like what we're reading into it, you know? I feel like it's very not supported in text. You can read between the lines. Right. It's an alternate universe, but like, I really like that alternate universe. Yes. And you know, I and you know, I do too. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, speaking of some of the themes of the episode in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier episode four, there were ideas about legacy and about heroism and about those who get forgotten, as my guests and I have discussed in previous episodes. And there was also this idea about power and how power can be used and abused. And this idea about power plays directly into the symbolism of the shield. So I'm going to reflect on this for a little bit. In episode one... Sam says symbols are nothing without the women and men who give them meaning. And that point was completely driven home here in this episode in the imagery of Walker wielding this shield. So if you compare the shot of Walker holding the shield above his head and repeatedly using it to attack the man at the end of the episode and the shot of him holding the the shield Captain America style with the blood stains at the bottom of it, Comparing those images with images of Steve holding the shield in previous films, the contrast really kind of nails the difference between these two characters. And it also recalls uh, Erskine's quote from the first Avenger when he says, so good becomes great, bad becomes worse. This is why you were chosen, because a strong man who has known power all his life will lose respect for that power. And we're absolutely seeing that with John Walker in the hands of John Walker the shield has become a symbol of an abuse of power 
And um, I've always thought that it's it's very intriguing. Part of what intrigues me about Captain America as a superhero is that his weapon is a shield, that he fights with this weapon that is a weapon of defense or protection. And here we have Walker just brutally turning that symbol on its head. And it was really tough to watch for me as a Captain America fan to see the symbol of one of your favorite superheroes being corrupted. But in that experience of having this reaction to that, I realized that that was important to the message that the show is portraying because while this show is dealing with super soldier serum and the blip and all of these otherworldly fantastical things, it is also reflecting the real world. And it makes me think about the ways in which the symbols of our own country have over the course of its history been corrupted, how power has been abused in the real world. So my visceral reaction to seeing a symbol of Steve's Captain America tainted and bloodied is nothing compared to the betrayal that many Americans throughout our nation's history have felt seeing our flag tainted and bloodied and corrupted, right? So think about, you know, American soldiers during World War II. Citizens, perhaps happened to be of Asian ancestry, fighting for the United States, fighting against the sources of evil in the world, only to have relatives and other people who look like them in internment camps. Um, and then I think of Sam's sister in this episode, Sarah, and real-world analogs to her, people who say, you know, who feel my world means nothing to America. Why should I care about its mascot is what she says, right? So she's an American. So what she means here, although it's not entirely explicit, is experiences of racism, um, perhaps experiences of of class or of the part of the country that she lives in, in addition to racism, um, experiences like her brother had in episode two, being profiled by law enforcement, experiences like Isaiah speaks to in episode two, when he talks about what did I get for being a hero and that lack of equality. So I think I touched on a lot there because <laughs> I had, this was, this was probably the episode so far that I felt the most uh, connection between these real world analogs and, and how grounded some of this, um, some of these themes are with just how powerfully they are depicting it through the symbols. But I, I said a lot there, Emily. So I, do you have any thoughts on that? I have lots of thoughts. On I'm that. sure you do. <laughs> so one of the things that um, stood out to me that you had mentioned was the symbolism of him holding the shield. Something that stood out to me in the episode was when he's holding it over his head and bringing it down. I went straight to Civil War yeah. of Captain America fighting Tony bringing it straight down on Tony yeah. of that violence of Steve protecting his friend as John Walker was protecting Lamar after Lamar had just died. And so in that moment, I was like, well, maybe if there was a crowd there, would Steve have really done anything different? Mm. Would he not have also protected Bucky? Like, what's the difference here that there wasn't anyone there to see Steve have done it? I mean, I really don't think, like, I feel like we would be, oh, Steve's just avenging his friend. He's just protecting Bucky in this moment. But for John Walker, we're like, no, he's such a bad guy. Killing this dude who just killed his friend. 
but also like I hate John Walker. So I'm like, I completely <laughs> understand it. Um, but well, there's definitely a parallel there. There is. And I think Zemo in a way would kind of agree with you, right? Because Zemo, every other breath is like, he's equating Steve Rogers with Red Skull. It's like he's equating the Avengers with the Nazis, right? And I feel like, I think it's an important point that you're bringing up that we are getting that parallel and we have seen Steve be violent. We have seen Steve fight for Bucky. As you're pointing out, John Walker is, even if we don't like him, he is a real human and he really cared for this other person, Lamar. And and is he being an Avenger in that moment? Is he just avenging? And my take on it is that Steve like does hold back on Tony, right? Like that he like knows that he's not killing him, that he is I don't know. I I hear your point and I I definitely see where the com- this show i think is inviting that conversation it's inviting that conversation of the shield and its symbolism there's going to be people like me who think that oh my gosh it was totally pure when it was steve's and now when it's being bloody right and then there's going to be people who say you know what no it was always it was like, always why is tainted carly's violence bad when you know sam was doing the same thing in the first episode and i think that that is the important thing that this show is is bringing up. And I think there's going to be the optimism and the wanting to hold on to the fictional world of the heroes of like, Steve would never, Steve would never is what I keep saying. Well, I, I brought up like the symbolism being, being tainted and, and, you know, real world examples. Oh, yes. And just the association of the shield and having like American flag colors. And I feel like that's another strong point that they're really playing on here. Um, even if we recognize it or not, a lot of U.S. citizens and Americans in general are going to be like, maybe her on some level. It depends on how much you feel as an American. If you're an American listening to this, you're going to maybe cringe a little bit. I right. mean, like seeing a bloodied flag. Um, I don't know. That could always be like a little bit of this. It always hurts to see your flag or like those colors be like bloodied and yeah. represented in a bad color. So, I mean, you don't want to be that way. But it's like you're faced with it and you're like, oh, but we are. Yeah. Um, and so it's always tough to be faced with the truth, especially what's in the superpower show. Like, that's a weird way to be it. <laughs> but OK. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's interesting. And then I love how they connected Sarah back into this. Yeah. And I especially feel like what you're saying with her having her own individual hardships, I feel like that also ties back into her getting rejected in the beginning by the bank. Um, so I also think that goes, that also connects to her being that kind of idea of like invisible in general. Yeah, um, yeah I think a that's a good word for it. Absolutely. And then just Erskine's quote, like if Captain America is good becoming great and then John Walker is bad becoming worse than what is Carly. Like, yeah is Captain America really good becoming great? Or is that just how he sold to us? Um, like, I mean, which I love Captain America. This is very hard playing like, <laughs> no, I know what you Captain mean. Captain America fan. Um, but you know, it's like, I always, I love critically thinking at works like this. And then I'm going to go read like a bunch of Captain America fan fiction to apologize to myself for saying all this. Um, <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Right. And I, <laughs> I did a, a guest spot on an episode of the MCU Need to Know podcast, and we talked about responsibilities of a fandom, and and we kind of talked about how the more, and this is not an original thought to me, I, I can't remember where I found this quote from, but it was essentially, the gist of it was like, the more you love a thing, the more critical you are, and the more critical you should be, right? Like, you only 
think critically about something if you care about it. And it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the thing. And it doesn't mean that like you, it's, it's, I think what has been successful about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is that it is raising these questions and it makes you think of that question like, well, the end of this episode, all of these people have their camera phones on John Walker, who has just brutally killed this guy who is, you know, saying it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Sure, he's aligned himself with the people here who, in John Walker's mind, are the bad guys. And we have watched our favorite heroes call certain people bad guys before, and take we've taken that at face value, and we've even seen them kill these people. But there's something to the brutal, you know, it was shot so brutally, and these people have the cameras on him. And in that moment, right, me, Steve Rogers, super fan, this is John Walker. John Walker has done this horrific thing. Would Steve have done this thing? I want to say no. But to those people watching in that moment, right? That's on John Walker who did that thing, right? That was Captain America who did that thing. So now it's like you're in a position where it's, well, this version of Captain America did that thing, but the other version of Captain America wouldn't have done that thing. And then the argument of like, well... Their version of Captain America has done this thing, though, because Civil War, he was on the run. And I think that's what it is, too. At the end of the day, when it comes to mantles like this, right, when it comes to the identity of a mantle like Captain America, and frankly, if we're going to be talking about real world analogs, when it comes to the identity of a nation, it's it's. Yeah, absolutely. People on pedestals in general. Right. And and there's there's that way of saying, okay, well, um, you know, the United States government did this action in whatever year. That is not the exact same United States government of a previous year or a future year. But then there's the way of saying it, like what we're saying, like, well, depending on how you're looking at it, it's still the United States government. It's still Captain America who is doing this thing. It reminds me of um, when horrific acts of, you know, racism or whatever it may be take place. And and people, people's first reaction, understandably, is, hey, this is not who we are as Americans, right? This is not who we are. And then other people saying, well, you know what? It kind of is who we are, right? Like, we, we have a long history of certain injustices in our country's history. And I understand both impulses there, right? The impulse to say, no, 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 not Captain America, quote unquote, is not what this is that that's not what Captain America is about. That's what John Walker is about, right? This is not who who Captain America is. And then I also understand the other perspective to say, well, no, like you're saying, Emily, it there is a history of of depending on how you're looking at it, Avengers, you know, intervening and causing things like Ultron and whatever else. So anyway, um, I think there's just so much here that's just very thematically rich. Yeah. The Avengers are very violent and I'm very anti-violence and so like it's very weird to be a huge like action fan and be very against violence i'm like oh yeah i love this and being like oh my god i would hate them if this was like a real thing i'd be so against them i would be zemo to like a way lesser level it's that cognitive dissonance right of like you know loving to i loved the brutally violent action scene last episode i loved it I don't think of myself as a violent person in real life. (laughs) I would be really horrified by anything like that in real life. And yet I loved to watch it in the show. So it's, you know, uh, uh, we could probably do a lot of unpacking psychologically of uh, people's relationships to ultraviolent 
media. Uh, and, and I'm sure that's been done and it'd be interesting to hear more about yeah, that. Like, but I love Captain America. If he was a real person, the idea of having someone basically wearing the American flag and running around with like a disc, like a giant Frisbee, <laughs> like I just wouldn't be able to handle it. Like I wouldn't. Yeah. And I, have, I would not like him. Right. But I love him in as a character. Like yeah. it's such an interesting concept. And I have but, this theory, at least for me personally, it. that like. The the reason there is that because because in real life, you know, I guess just speaking personally, and it, it it's not even a political thing. I think it's it's just kind of like a personal thing that like I'm so jaded by any type of icon. So Zemo's speech last um, last episode really resonated with me. Of, of despite the fact that he too is evil, right? So we're talking, you know, we we don't like violence. We don't like what he's done either. We don't like what Carly's yeah. done either. But at the same time, um, uh, what he said, you know, about putting people on pedestals for getting their flaws, like, I, I really relate to that. And that's, and that's why, you know, I, I don't want to put any uh, public figure on any yeah. type of, of pedestal. He's I'm, like Carly. He's another very complex character. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah, I can get behind some of your ideas. But like, really going about it horrific way. Right, right. Like, what are you doing? And why does he have so many houses? Like, he's a prince <laughs> or something? Like, he's a lord? He's a baron, Sam. <laughs> oh, my God. He has, like, these are such nice houses. And then the door Milaje come, and they, like, ruined them. I'm like, they have these spears, and they're all fighting. And I was like, Bucky, don't punch that. Like, you're going to <laughs> with the furniture. It's so nice. It was really I'm, like, nice. The- pillars look so pretty and like even the doorknobs were fancy and i was like this is a house i would visit on like one of those historical tours when you're on vacation i'm so glad you brought that up because i was eyeing it as well and as i mentioned last episode i i love looking at the uh flashier aspects of of these types of shows and i loved the bar that they were sitting at i just loved the whole it was beautiful and i guess you know I, I guess my point is to, is kind of just to say that my own personal cynicism about any type of public f- figures, yeah. uh, the fact that maybe I've latched on so hard to Captain America and to other Avengers here is maybe because I I don't get that in real life, right? Like, is maybe because I, I lean so hard into the fiction of it, into the belief that, hey, if it's a fictional world, then I, I can just let myself completely yeah, get into it really the stakes really aren't appreciate that high. my ability to separate fiction from reality yeah and like my beliefs in each of them recognizing like yeah i would hate that if that was real but like i love it in this scenario so we've we've we have touched on a lot already but i did want to hear if there were some favorite standout moments from the episode that we haven't necessarily dug into yet quotes lines just particular scenes that resonated with you I, um, she, I just, I loved her appearance. Her showing up at the end of last episode was great. Yeah. And I was like, she's here. And then we get her and Bucky in the beginning of this episode, um, with her helping Bucky out with doing the words and then Bucky struggling, um, and then Bucky getting through and her being like, you're a free man. And just IO in general, just the door melange are amazing. And then, they're like you have eight hours i'm trying to figure out like how long is eight hours as i'm watching this i'm like i cannot (laughs) tell how much time is passing like this is like a 40 minute 50 minute show what is eight hours right now like i'm trying to figure out the sun as the show is going by i'm like oh my god i feel like we're past eight hours and they haven't shown up yet when are they coming and then they show up 
And I was like, yes, they're here. Um, and then they're great. And Sam's like, you are going to want to fight Bucky before you fight them. And he fights them. And I'm like, you idiot. But I'm also like, thank you for fighting them. I really want this fight scene. <laughs> and so why'd you fight them? That's so stupid. And he's like, hi, I'm Captain America. It's just there was so many things happening where I yeah. was like, oh, my God. And I really loved that Bucky had kind of like a relationship with Io, and yeah. that he had like a standing with her and that they had a conversation and that in the middle of the fight when Sam was like, hey, Bucky, help. And first he was like, you're doing good, John. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then he joined. He's like, Io, can we talk about this? And yeah. she just completely brushed him off. And then she, like, disarmed him. Like, literally disarmed him. Disarmed. Yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking about that all day. Um, and it was just, like, it was great. And then it was, like, did you know they could do that? And he was, like, no. That's another thing. Like, the Wakandans, they put in that safety feature that they know how to disarm him because he wasn't always on their side. And so I feel like that's another interesting that they kind of threw in there yeah i thought that was great in an episode that was so full of so many things the fact that they really authentically and effectively in my opinion as well worked in bucky's past in wakanda and io and the dormilaje and and that scene was so great because you did get the different strands converging and it okay it all makes it all makes sense. We have Zemo and John Walker and Hoskins and the Dormelage all kind of in this one scene together with Sam and Bucky. I really appreciated that. And I, I loved the flashback scene because with very little time, very little screen time, they were able to establish that they had a relationship, as you said, that she genuinely looks um, proud and relieved when he doesn't change with the Russian trigger words i know and then her saying like i won't let you kill anybody like that's a lot of trust yeah absolutely or it's just being like i can completely overpower you that's just another like complete power move and i loved i don't know if the the other soldier who she came with who i like arrived with if she has a a name two of them um the one who pulled it came with two yeah the one who took Um, up the shield that was very cool great yeah. I know. And she like did like the kick thing and then it yeah. came up and yeah, like a few cool. other people have done that before. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, the move. <laughs> it's it's always very cool to see it. And I think especially in that moment, it was important. It was significant to John Walker. You know, he says right after like, wow, they weren't even super soldiers. Like he's realizing like I got my ass beat. They weren't even super soldiers. Right. Like I, I think that's part of his, you know, wheels turning about taking that serum. Uh, but yeah, especially, you know, the fact that she did that move right in front of him, I think, was was more to underline for him, like, hey, just because you've been chosen to take on this costume and this shield, it doesn't mean that you're special or worthy, you know, without really earning it. Um, or that you're the only one who's able to wield it. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they were awesome. And I'm, I'm sure as a Bucky fan, you know, and I, I don't mean to suggest that I'm not a Bucky fan. I, I am also a Bucky fan. I just think not as deeply as you are. But I'm, I'm sure like seeing it because for me, too, it was it was powerful to see him in that flashback, you know, crying. And, and again, that that relief on his face. Not as much the flashback as just seeing him have relationships and connections to other people, I feel like. Gotcha. Like, I feel like that had the bigger impact on me he had relationships with other people. Like, he had to connect with Io. Like, that was something that 
they had implied like, oh, they have like a friendship. They've had right. conversations like they have that trust. And like that's something that we don't have. Like we haven't really seen. We didn't see that being built. But that's true. We've, we know it's there. Um, like in episode three, we see him like throw this like spear type thing, the stick type thing, which is very similar oh, to yeah. what the Dormelage wield. Ooh, good um, so point. it's like, did they teach him that? Did Io teach him that? I would love if she did. That's very like, cool. I very much think she did. I very much think they did. He was there for a long time. Yeah. Um, so it'd be pretty cool if like we see more of like Wakandan type um fighting styles. Yeah, really cool observation. I, I hadn't even put that together, but that's really, really interesting. Yeah. So uh the scenes that you just mentioned, I also think are fantastic. You know, I kind of touched on this one a little bit already, but for what it's worth, I did kind of want to highlight the the first scene of Bucky and Sam and Zemo at the beautiful house in Latvia <laughs> that we were talking about. And it was a scene that had some banter, which the three of those actors are fantastic with the banter when they were talking about his TT and... <laughs> That was very funny. This is this was one of the first scenes where we sort of get the setup for where we see Sam going in this episode. And just to recap it a little bit, uh, Zemo says she's getting worse, talking about Carly after they learn the news about the bombing of the GRC building in which people died. And Sam says she's just a kid. And Zemo says, you're seeing something in her that isn't there. You're clouded by it. She's a supremacist. The very concept of a super soldier will always trouble people. It's that warped aspiration that led to Nazis, to Ultron, to the Avengers, which, wow, again, to hear like Nazis, Ultron, and the Avengers all on the same level is jarring, just like it was jarring to hear Steve kind of equated to Red Skull in Zemo's mind in the last episode. And it's jarring and it's necessarily jarring, I think, for all of the reasons we've talked about. And uh, Sam says, those are our friends you're talking about. And Bucky says, the Avengers, not the Nazis, which is important. Uh, so Sam... Cur- I feel like it's also very cool for Bucky because he fought in World War II. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's, it's more meaningful. Yeah. He's like, uh, wait, I, actually, I, I, knew some, I knew some Nazis and uh, not them. <laughs> yeah. That was the other thing where I was like, oh, yeah, like he fought like literal Nazis. Exactly. And I was like, I feel like that's a cool call out. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so the Sam says Carly is radicalized, but there has to be a peaceful way to stop her. And so again, we're seeing Sam's compassion here. Sam's, I, I'm so glad that they reminded us again, uh, or, you know, reminded in universe, I had this on my mind the whole time, but in universe, they addressed that he was a counselor for former soldiers. Like I've been waiting for that to come back into play, um, that he would have this this empathy there. And then Zemo says the desire to become a superhuman cannot be separated from supremacist ideals. Anyone with the serum is inherently on that path, which is a really interesting thought. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool idea that the concept of making yourself even physically superior and more physically able, just superior, like literally superior. That was a very important line i thought too it is and i think it's setting up you know again even though zemo is not a good person i think that in a way he proves his own point right because if his point is that a superiority complex and the idea of supremacy right the very idea that you are somehow superior to others is the villainy here and that it's something that let's face it like 
everybody here has in common, right? Like uh, John Walker certainly has it. Zemo, uh, sorry, um, Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers have it, right? He, in his mind, in Zemo's mind, right? The Avengers have it as well. But the ironic thing is that Zemo has it as too, right? Like, like <laughs> by the very fact that he's separated himself away from it, he also is kind of exhibiting the supremacy of thinking, well, no, 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 I have it all right here. And yeah. Sam even calls him out on it later. He's like, hmm, well, isn't that how gods talk? When he's like, oh, we can't have these gods among men, right? And and Sam's like, hmm, spoken very much like a person who... I know. Right? And like, I, he's radicalized himself. Yes. I, I think it's just so, so great. And that's what made me love Sam in this episode. I think I've always liked Sam, don't get me wrong. But I think I this Sam. was the <laughs> first episode that I not only enjoyed him as a good character, but just really saw him as, man, I could see why Steve wants him to be Captain America because he has that perspective, because he immediately said no to would you take the super soldier serum and that he is the one who, he's not a supremacist. He's going to look at Carly and Zemo equally and say to them, you're talking like exactly the people that you claim to be against. And I think that that's what was uh, just really special to see in this episode. And, and you know, when Bucky says the serum never corrupted Steve and Zemo says, okay, touche, but there has never been another Steve Rogers, has there? And I think that that's pointed. I think that that's both a shout out to my boy Steve and like even Zemo kind of admitting that Steve was a good one, maybe the exception that proves the rule. Uh, but I think it's also pointed to sort of say, hmm, there has never been another Steve, but maybe Sam could kind of be the next thing, the next like Sam. the next thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that scene really stuck out to me. And I mean, there's a few other ones as well. I'm sure there are more we could talk about. Were there any other that you wanted to um, to highlight? How old is Carly supposed to be? <laughs> that is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I was just going to look up um, the actor's age. She's 22. Yeah, and she's been in, like, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. She's so cool. Yeah, she's great. She's a really, really good actor. She's very compelling on screen. So I'm guessing if she's, tw you know, she's 22 in real life, she kind of looks even younger. And Sam says she's just a kid. I think she is meant to be pretty young. I was shocked no one had questioned her more about her killing those guys. Mm. Like, I thought they would in that kind of scene where they're kind of like sitting there on some like rock area or whatever. I thought they would be like, hey, that's not what we signed up for, but they're all just kind of silent. Maybe it's like they're scared to stand up to her or maybe they feel like it's time to. Yeah, I think it's that's a really important point that you just brought up because I was wondering about that last week and I mentioned that to the people I was podcasting with last week and I think it was Brandon, so shout out to Brandon. Uh, from MCU in Review, who said, you know what, though, the loyalty and the allegiance that these people would have to her because of all of the good that she has done and all of the good that she is doing for them. And you mentioned it earlier, like providing the medication, right, providing all of these resources that that is that runs deep and that it gets scary, though, it gets overshadowed. And it's like, mm -hmm. how far is too far? When do you start to like take away those blinders like when do you yeah. get to look past them yeah and it's hard and it, i think it, it plays into what we were talking about before too that like on all sides of this thing right how much do you uh, it, it, it's hard to be faced with 
the thing that you look up to and the, and, and the, the person who maybe mean, means so much to you, how much do you rationalize or justify their actions, right? So how much are they rationalizing, justifying her actions in the same way that others have justified others' actions um, out of that same desire and, and that desire to belong, right, in this group that they have? And I, I think, you know, if there's another scene that I want to spend some time talking about, it is the scene between Sam and Carly because I think it's really powerful that he... He he does show up with this compassion for her, with this empathy for her, but also kind of calling her uh, on her on her shit. Um, and I think and she it's, starts to recognize it too. Yeah, yes. And I thought that was so great. And yeah, so I'll recap it a little bit. Um, Sam says to her, "It doesn't have to be a war, Carly," which is really interesting, considering what you said earlier. This whole idea of social work as an act of war. And then, of course, she says, you know, they started a war as soon as they kicked us out of our new homes and onto the street. People all around the world need me. Millions of them. Right. That language of one world, one people, which, again, on paper sounds really great. And then you're faced with, well, are you really living up to that, Carly, if you then are taking this action? Right. So um, Sam says he understands her, you know, her frustration, her helplessness, et cetera. And so she says, what if I'm making the world a better place? Okay, the intentions there. And, of course, he says, no, it's not a better place. If you're killing people, it's just different. And I liked that, too. If somebody is abusing power, it's not better or worse. It's just different, right? You might think that because of your intentions that it's better, that you're the one justified in the killing that you're doing. But who is to say, right? Who gets to be the judge of that? So I love his line, it's just different. It really reminded me of Steve there, the way he talks to her. Uh, and I also love that she said to him, you're either brilliant or just hopelessly optimistic. And he says, well, can I be a little bit of both? Very much resonated with me and very much resonated, like, like made me think of Steve. So I, I'm here I am, especially in the scene. I'm like, team Sam all the way. Like, Sam, you could be Captain America is, is what I'm feeling. And, uh, you know, he's, he basically talks about Zemo in Val's terms and says, that, you know, this guy I know says you're a supremacist. And she says, me, right, that's ridiculous. Everything I do is to end supremacy. These corporations and the beasts who run them, they're the supremacists. And her reaction there is just so realistic, right? It's just so much like she really doesn't see how she might be falling into the same trap of what she stands against. And it was so great to see him counsel her really in that moment to like put that hat on and kind of get her uh, to to um, acknowledge it, as you were saying. So he again points out, you're killing innocent people. She says, they're not innocent. They're roadblocks in my journey. And I'd kill them again if I had to. And he's just like, wow. And she realizes that she's been tricked into sounding like, and he goes, like what? Like, it's so great how he challenges her. And uh, brings up the sister, of course, and then we talked about how how she reaches out to to Sarah. It, it, it was just such a well done scene. He says, "I'm not your enemy. I agree with your fight. I just can't get with the way you're fighting it," which is what we talked about before. And he says, "I'm sure she wouldn't either." And and you know, gesturing to the the mother figure of her community who who has died. And I just thought it was such a powerfully well done scene, and and really again plays into some of those themes. And and like I said, just really makes me love Sam. Same. <laughs> That's all there is to say. John Walker with the shield and the blood on it was very, like, it's the same pose that we've seen Steve do before. 
and it's different, but I don't, I can't remember if we've seen Steve have blood on his shield before or not. It's battle. There's definitely been blood on his shield. We just probably haven't seen it the way we've seen it on his. Um, so it's probably just a framing tactic. Same for here. They probably highlight the blood because they want us to show that he's violent. Yeah. Um, I think that's just an interesting way of looking at it. It is. And then he's just very, very similar to Homelander's um, from the boys. Just another form of American symbolism thrown onto like white, blonde, blue eyes superhero. Or yeah, not so- superhero, but figure. Right. And and you've talked a little bit about that show before, which is still a show that I haven't watched. And my understanding very is that violent. it's like a very violent, extreme kind of like satire on a whole superhero thing. Like what is kind of the. Yeah, kind of. Um, it addresses a lot of stuff. It's about superheroes and corruption. Mm. Um, I think that's the best way to go about it. It's based off a comic series as well. Well, um, I'll have to check it out. It's really cool. But Homelander is just, he's a superhero, supervillain. He wants to be called a superhero. Um, it's a big part of his character. He's very violent. Um, he holds very strong ideals that are very, like, I think they're strongly racist and sexist and homophobic. And they're okay. very, like, or they're at least very borderline. Like, they're not outright, but they're coming from a place of hate. Interesting. Um, and it's very weird because he's representing America. And so it's mm. kind of going back to the idea of, oh, that's not what America is. Or, no, that's what it's always been. Mm. Um, do we accept that or do we try to change it? Um, like, is that the person or is that what he's representing? Yeah, and so really it's another interesting kind of concept. And it's a similar character to John Walker, except he has superpowers. Um which John Walker now has. Right, right, right. Because he took the super soldier serum, which I originally thought he was going to split with Lamar. Oh, I interesting. Was, yeah, I thought he was, I thought during that conversation it was going to be in their tea and he was going to tell them after. And then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> well, that's a really interesting thought because the scene between him and Lamar is really like, you know, there have been a few moments that have really humanized John Walker and and made him, you know, not just this uh, caricature. It seems like in a way that like Homelander is like this extreme caricature of like the worst parts of this. And with John Walker, we've gotten some sense of humanity from him and that like he's not necessarily all bad because in that conversation with Lamar, it's, it, first of all, it's clear that he loves Lamar and Lamar is like a close friend, a person he cares about. And in that conversation, he's a little bit human and he talks about the horrific things they did in Afghanistan in order to earn see, their medals yes, of honor. You see, yes, yes. see. Yes, yes. And that's a big part of fighting, I feel like. And I feel like that's very important that they touched upon it. Um, yeah. I think it'd be really interesting. Like, I'm very interested in knowing if that's part of their contract with the Department of Defense. Oh, and I wonder. And portraying, actually, um, using their vehicles and portraying it accurately. Yeah, I, I think it'd be cool if it is actually. I would really like it. That's, that's a that's a really it, good but. good question. Yeah, and I know there's a lot out there about Marvel and you know other big studios' relationships with uh, the United States military when it comes to using um, realistic, you know, equipment and, and and vehicles and things like that, and then and then what that means for for depictions. But that's a really interesting thought that if that um, plays into it at all. Because it's an accurate portrayal, yeah. but I wonder if that also extends to experiences. 
Because yeah. then also Sam's experience, his accurate mm-hmm. experience as a counselor could also be tied into that. Yeah, I wonder. That's a really interesting thought. And I think that it, it is important that they touched on that in that conversation. And for, you know, for a, a franchise that has, you know, relations, understandably, with the military, you know, to be able to have that real moment of like, hey, you know, things we did in war aren't necessarily things that we believe feel right, right? He talks about that sense of feeling right and that being Captain America is a chance for him to do something that feels right. And then, of course, you know, a few scenes later, you know, we we clearly, you know, his making the decision to take the serum doesn't feel right. I think that's what's so great about this show is that it is playing with this gray area. And in that conversation with Lamar, I was sympathizing with him a little bit more again. And then very soon after, I hated him again. Uh, But it's interesting that you had that thought that he might share it because... I, I didn't, my brain didn't go there, but I could see that looking at the scene between the two of them because he very much does clearly like care about his friend and he's asking his friend's opinion, like, would you take it? So I think that's interesting. On that note, we have two episodes left in the series and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on what might happen in the remaining episodes. I think Zemo's going to try to kill Bucky. Mm. Um and I'm excited to see the clip from the trailer of them fighting with the shield. Yeah. On um, that practice scene. I think that's going to be at the end. That's going to be like, oh, we have the shield now. Yay. This is us playing with it. Um, this is us being partners. I think that has, that is what that is going to be. Um, and then another cool scene that's in the trailers is Bucky being like, is Sam asking Bucky, why didn't you use your left arm? And then Bucky being like, I'm right handed. I'm like, when is that coming? Like, I really want to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm excited for that scene. Um, But I really think Zemo is going to try to kill Bucky just because more so in this past episode, um, Sam straight out asked Zemo while he's talking about, hey, I don't like super soldiers. Like, what about Bucky? And there's like a silence type thing. Yeah. And I'm like, well, we haven't seen the part from the trailer where he's shooting at Bucky. Right. So when's that going to come? And that's also kind of what led to my surprise of Zemo being a good person in this, or like a, not a good person, but helping the supposed good guys. Right. The good guys. Um, Because the trailer shows him as the bad guy. Do you have any thoughts on who the power broker might be? I thought it was the lady. I thought it was the person they killed. But I guess it isn't. Oh, the lady from last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> so I think she was just really a lackey. I was confused when I was like, oh, it's still alive? I was like, okay, <laughs> so maybe Sharon? I don't know. Um, Fury? I don't know. It could be like <laughs> a lot of people. I Honestly, it really could be. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of people out there who think it, it is Sharon. And I don't know if that's true. I think more along the lines of what you're thinking, which is like she seems like she's just like a double agent of some kind. Yeah. Um but maybe it's a new character that will open up doors, you know, to a future avenue. Uh, or maybe the importance of who that person is is not as important as as we think it is. Um, but there's definitely some sketchy stuff going on with Sharon, although I'm excited to see to see more of her in these last two episodes. And I hope to see the return of Isaiah Bradley in these last two episodes. I can't think of any characters that like I knew who's like any actors who I knew were going to be in the show that we haven't really seen yet. Yeah. So I don't know who would be the power broker. Right. I'm trying to go through like a casting list in my head that like I was like, oh, this person's going to be in it. Right. The I'm only um, 
MCU cameo that we've gotten other than Io and the Dora Milaje here was Rhodey in episode one, but there's no way Rhodey is the power broker. Like he's like obviously not that. And I feel like I really hope the Dora Milaje come back for yeah. Zemo. Yeah. I, I hope in the last episode they come back like we're gonna take him. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> Any other oh, we we heard White Wolf again. Yes. That was another thing that I like. I just that's a fun nickname with the reference to the comments. I liked that too. Uh, any anything else in terms of predictions or hopes or questions that need answering for the last couple episodes? I hope Bucky gets his second date, yeah. and I hope Sarah gets her alone for the boat. Yeah, and I hope I don't know what does Sam want. I guess Sam wants to help Carly, so I hope mm. Carly gets a happy ending. I'd like to see him get through to her like i'd like to see that compassionate empathetic counseling side of sam get through to her and her to realize because I, I do think there was a little bit of remorse in her face when she realized that lamar was dead because obviously she intentionally blew up the grc building in the previous episode but i don't think she intentionally killed lamar i think she was fighting him and he cracked his head on that pillar and she takes her mask off and there's almost this look and i i like to think maybe again being hopeful here but i'd like to think that sam is getting through to her a little bit and that she i think so yeah and that she will come around and listen we have a lot of characters in the mcu who have killed a lot of people but they get some redemption stories like loki for example so i think that we can get some redemption bucky has like a whole bucky <laughs> true well bucky <laughs> bucky a- wasn't in control when he killed them but yeah. Okay. Still. <laughs> but you're right. And, 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 but it's somebody like Loki was. So I think, you know, she, and being so young, right. So she has clearly taken the wrong actions here. I, I think that Sam could be the type of person who would lead her through, uh, through some redemption. And I, I'd like to see that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up tonight, Emily, are, are there any last thoughts on your mind? No. I mean, I have nothing about the Falcon Winter Soldier. You have other thoughts? <laughs> no, I'm excited about Loki. Yes. WandaVision was great. My friends and I, for WandaVision, we had a tough time deciding if we were a fan of the crazy woman mental illness line. Mm. That was a tough thing that we went back and forth on. Of the embracing emotions is a positive thing, but also a lot of storylines are women being overly emotional. So that was like a double-edged sword. And so that was something that we had multiple conversations about with like each episode where it was like, oh my God, again, I like this, but also why is it, what is, why is it pushing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's I think it's important that you mentioned that. And I think for me, part of why it didn't read too um, tropey in a negative way for me was because there are other superheroes like Hulk who have to deal with like that uh, consequence of being a super powered individual that like when you feel something, when you feel an emotion, you're not in control of what the consequence is. And so that it's not necessarily a gendered thing in the Marvel universe because there are other heroes who have that as well. However, even as I say that, I realize that it's still a popular mainstream television depiction of a female-led show 
And that was the point of it was that, right? Like she went through these horrific experiences, had all this trauma and could not control those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's weird what it's like, what you can gain, what you can learn from it is potentially iffy on how you interpret it. Like it really just depends on the viewer. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think it goes back to what we were talking about before too, which is like, it's important to be critical of things. It's important to think critically about things, even when we love them, and maybe especially when we love them, and to have that level of interpretation or, or realizing that the way you're interpret interpreting it might not be the same as other people. And I think all the time, like, what does an, a quote-unquote average viewer who is not dissecting these things for a podcast who is not coming at this from more of a critical academic lens what are they getting out of it and uh if there if there's a message to be interpreted there that is tropey or stereotypical in a way that perpetuates you know negative stereotypes that's not a good thing even if i'm not getting that from it because i'm looking at it from a different lens yeah like what are the subliminal messages that like i'm seeing i can see clearly but other people may not and are still receiving i too am very excited about loki i'm so excited i'm very excited for owen wilson yeah didn't recognize it as, as him at first and i, I didn't was like, either marley and me was like <laughs> what is he doing here that's so funny <laughs> that's your point of reference well. that's so funny like, <laughs> yeah he's great, great. he's a great actor uh, i i just I love Tom Hiddleston. I love Loki. Loki's one of my absolute top favorite characters in the MCU. And I've been most excited about that show. I mean, WandaVision blew me away. And WandaVision is one of my favorite things that the MCU has ever done. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a ride. And I, I, I'm going to withhold any like um, big stances on where it falls for me until it's done. But I might like WandaVision more than Falcon and the Winter Soldier overall. I think so far I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Not because not because of characters, but just like WandaVision, like it's such a unique concept. We'll never get that again. Yes. Like it was so cool. So like, like unparalleled. Unique. Never going to get anything like it again. Amazing out of this world like that lady gaga gift like where she just saying words yeah how i feel brilliant beautiful whatever she's saying yeah i completely agree i completely agree i think it was one of a kind and i i love the mcu because it deals in different genres and it deals with this the consequences of the same events but in such different ways uh wandavision is something that it like completely stands everything. on its own. Yes, it completely stands on its own. I cannot compare anything to WandaVision yeah. anymore. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Thank you for having me to talk about Bucky. <laughs> there it is. And I'm also looking forward to having you on again when we get to Loki. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited for Loki. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, it's just, I really hope there's a scene that describes or at least shows or just mentions in some form what we got in Ragnarok with Loki, with Thor being like, I was trying to do something and then I picked up a snake and then it was Loki's like, God, I stab you. And I was like, that's what I would do with my sister. <laughs> he knows like, I love snakes. <laughs> I need that more. Like, I, I want more of that relationship. Awesome. I love it. Very funny. 
If you enjoyed this conversation about episode four of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at Pender Illustrations on Instagram. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in each week to hear me and my guest of the week tackle the big ideas of the latest episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs>